0: When we began this chapter, I mentioned that we were going to be looking at the lives of four men. Um, Two of them we covered last week, uh, and I titled that message, uh, "Jesus Changes Everything." Now this week we're going to be covering the last two uh, men in this that encountered Jesus and and the changes that occurred within them when they encountered Jesus and I kind of wanted to title this week's message similar to something similar to last week so um, that's why I titled today's message never the same again because after again after Jesus encountered these two men, their lives were never the same again. Now this morning again we're going to take a look at that. We're also going to take a look at how our Lord, Uh, responded to those who criticized him and the action or responded how they criticized his words and actions and we're also going to be looking at the principles that he wanted to learn he wanted us to learn from uh, those these two passages we're about to cover so before we get into the reading uh, let's ask the lord to, to to speak to us this morning Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning you've given us and for all those that are here, for the visitors, for uh, the familiar faces, those who haven't um, been uh, here in a few weeks, Lord. And and I I am thankful that they're all here, Lord. And right now, I ask that you bless this time, Lord, um, fill this room with your spirit, speak to us, uh, soften our hearts and our minds. Um, We wanna hear from you, Lord. We're desperate to hear what you have to say. Use me as your vessel, and may I speak just truth, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As I mentioned, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be... We left off in verse 16 last week, and so we're picking up in verse 17. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And the Word of God says... On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive (coughs) sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home immediately he got up before them picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying god then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to god and they were filled with awe and said we have seen incredible things today in the scene that we find ourselves in uh, we're still in capernaum And some have suggested that this event may have taken place in Peter's house. And there, a crowd gathered to see him heal and to hear him teach. However, there was a new group in the mix. There was a new element that was added to the crowd. Some of the official religious leaders from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem were present to investigate what he was doing. Now, as, as elders, they had every right to do this, since it was their responsibility to prevent false prophets from leading the people astray. In chapter one, in chapter one of John's gospel, they, they had interrogated John the Baptist, and now they were here at this indoor location Um, examining the new teacher that everyone was had been talking about now the Pharisees for those who may not know were one of the legalistic religious parties at that time and known were known to be highly devoted and overly zealous their name means separated ones and as their name suggests as a group they separated themselves from everything they thought was unholy. The teachers of the law of Moses were also known as scribes. They functioned essentially as lawyers and they worked closely with the Pharisees. Well, it seems that these religious leaders picked a good day to be present at one of Jesus' teaching because we're told that the Lord's power to heal was in him. Now, in all reality, Jesus always had that power to heal, but the circumstances to heal weren't always the best. So here, this may be implying that this was one of those ideal situations where the Lord's healing work could be and would be powerfully demonstrated. Now, as I mentioned, the location Jesus was teaching at may have been at the, at the home of Peter, but even if it wasn't, it's, it's really irrelevant. Um, what, what happened, what was going on was due to his popularity, due to how popular he had become, any, really, any indoor house or venue or house that he might've taught him would have been overwhelmingly packed with everybody just feeling every nook and cranny. They're probably laying down under the tables, I don't know, finding corners that the owner of the house didn't even know he had or they had. Uh, they were just looking, they probably were hanging, found places up, in the, I don't know, on the ceiling. I just imagine a bunch of crazy places where they uh, were looking just to, to see Jesus teach and what he was going to do. Luke tells us that some men arrived at that location carrying a paralyzed man on a stretcher. With the intent of setting him down before the Lord. However, just, but however, due to the fact that was, there was just so many people there, they couldn't find a way to bring him inside. So sometime during Jesus' teaching, they made up their way up to the roof, made an opening through the roof tiles, and then these men proceeded to lower their paralyzed friend on a stretcher, down to the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, this brings up a good question, which I want to ask. Are you willing to do the same for those who are spiritually paralyzed and are asking you to bring them to Jesus? J. Vernon McGee McGee said this, there are many people who aren't going to receive the message of salvation, unless you lift the corner of their stretcher and carry them to the place where they can hear the word of God. Like this man, many people are unable to move because they've been paralyzed by sin, by the sin of alcohol, drugs, pornography, anger, depression, idolatry, you name it. There's so many things in this world that are just paralyzing people. So many things that are just keeping people down there, keeping them from coming to the Lord, from walking with the Lord. Now, it may be hard and heavy. Yes, the road may also be long and bumpy and treacherous but if you don't bring them to Jesus, they may never have a chance. You see, the evidence of love is known by how willing and determined you are to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But also keep this in mind. You're not meant to carry the stretcher by yourself. In this story, four men work together together, to reach the goal of getting their friend to Jesus. Whether you know it or not, you're doing your part by getting the word of God out there to those who desperately need him. Now, here's also where it gets interesting here in this passage. And I want you to notice a couple of things first of all, it says that our Lord saw their faith. In this account, the emphasis is on the faith of the friends of the paralyzed man. So what did he see? What did Jesus see? He saw how the love, how love had united them with a common purpose. As I mentioned, they were determined to get to the man they believed could heal and restore the second thing i want you to notice is that instead of immediately doing what they wanted him to do instead of you see they had this idea in their head that they were just going to lower this man down and jesus was just gonna heal him automatically that's what they were thinking in their heads but what do we see jesus Saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. You see, in spite of it all, I mean, what Jesus was able to see, really, was just right through the paralyzed man, and he knew what the real issue was. He knew that the real issue with him was deeper than his disability Th- that man was suffering from spiritual paralysis which was far more debilitating than a phys- than that physical paralysis he knew there was a deep hole in his heart and that sin wasn't doing wasn't doing it and and he he understood that that man needed to be set free. He needed to be forgiven. Well, what do we see happening as soon as Jesus uttered those words? The religious leaders who were there, they just couldn't believe what he just said. For anyone claiming to forgive sins, that amounted to blasphemy because no one but God could do that. Now, although this is technically correct, their thoughts revealed their unwillingness to be open about the possibility that Jesus could be the Messiah. Had they been objective, had they given him just the opportunity opportunity to check him out, maybe their thoughts would have been something like, you know what, let's examine the evidence to see if he is the Messiah. And then determine through Scripture if he really has the authority to do this. But unfortunately, the, their thoughts only proved what it said in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder. They closed their ears so they could not hear. But our Lord knew exactly what they were thinking. And then proceeded to prove to them that he actually, that he had actually forgiven the man's sins. First, he asked this group of religious leaders, which is easier to say? To, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Now, in a sense, both are easy to say, but it's another thing to do either, since both are humanly impossible. However, if you really think about it, stating your sins are forgiven would be a lot easier to say since forgiveness is invisible and can't be verified. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven, but to prove it, it, It's, it's another thing. Now, it also doesn't prove that it doesn't prove to anyone that the person saying it has the power or the authority to do it. The real difficulty lies in telling someone, get up and walk. Because something like that is visible and can be verified. And if that person does get up and that person, that paralyzed person, does start walking, it says something about the power and authority of the one who could forgive and heal. So, to demonstrate that he had the power to do uh, the invisible miracle of forgiving sins, Jesus performed the visible miracle of healing. At the end of verse 24, Jesus tells the paralytic, I tell you, get up and go home. The man immediately, there was no hesitation, there was no wobbly feet, there was no weight. The man immediately got up, took everything he had, and went home glorifying God. The Pharisees couldn't see that the man's sins had been forgiven, so they wouldn't believe. Therefore, Jesus performed a miracle which they could see to prove to them that he had truly forgiven the man's sins. He gave the paralytic the power to walk. Now, in that moment, even The crowd's reaction was totally different than than that of the Pharisees and the scribes. The crowd was literally astonished, and they were giving glory to God, acknowledging that they had seen incredible things that day. At this point, there's simply no denying the wonder of what Jesus had done Nevertheless, submitting to Jesus and the far-reaching implications of his claims would be another thing altogether. Well, as I move on, as I mentioned earlier, again, we saw last week how Jesus changed the life of Peter and the man who had leprosy. So far today, we saw how he changed a paralyzed man. Well now we're going to look at the story of one more person, one more man in this chapter who was never the same after he encountered Jesus. And like Peter, James, and John, began a new life with the Savior. So if you don't mind um, going back to your Bibles, um, turning back there and, and picking up, as we pick up it where we left off, We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with him. But the Pharisees and their their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Man, these these scribes are definitely giving Jesus and his disciples a hard time. You can tell they're just picking, they're already picking at everything that he does, that he's doing. When Jesus called Levi, he hoped... So he he actually accomplished three, three things. He saved a lost soul. He added a new disciple to his band and created an opportunity to explain his ministry to Levi's friends and to the scribes and Pharisees. Now, because verse 30 here tells us that the official religious delegation was still there, I'm inclined to believe that this event may have occurred shortly after Jesus had healed the paralyzed man. However, regardless of when it occurred, verse 27 and 28 inform us of how the life of a tax collector was forever, was forever altered, was never the same again, when Jesus had an encounter with him. There it says that when Jesus, when our Lord was out and about, he noticed a tax collector named Levi. Now, if you read the book of Matthew, we find out that his name was later changed, that Levi's name was changed to Matthew. So, he saw him sitting there at the tax office. Now, at the time, Jewish tax collectors were despised and they were seen as traitors and extortioners. See, since The tax rates at that time weren't always clear. It was easy for a man in this line of work to take more than what was required and just pocket it, keep it for themselves. But even if he were an honest tax collector, he was still hated by his fellow Jews for collaborating with Rome and doing business with Gentile sinners. Now, as, this scene, as I was reading this, I, I imagine this taking place. Now, this is just me speaking here. As Matthew was sitting there, just doing his job, just working, he's there thinking about his life. And he was probably experiencing an existential crisis. He was probably looking at his life and everything that up to that point and saying man my life is empty i I have these friends and i I have these things and i have a great job but i'm miserable there's something missing and he was deep down he was feeling that hole that was still in his heart that wasn't filled by money or by women or by Drinking, or whatever it may be, there was nothing that was able to fill it. And so he was wondering to himself is life really worth it? What's the point of this all? And just as he reached the peak of desperation, Jesus appears. And all of a sudden, the world in his mind comes to a complete standstill. He sees this man who he had probably never seen before, standing right there before him. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but everything just seems to fade away. In that moment, it was just him and the Lord all of a sudden, Matthew hears two words that made more sense to him than anything he had ever heard. Anything that anyone has ever said to him his own entire life, he heard, follow me. And with just two simple but powerful words, he became aware of his sinful condition and his need for a savior. Jesus didn't have to preach the full gospel to him. He just told him, follow me. There was already changes going on in his, in his heart, in his mind. And when he uttered these, when Jesus uttered these words, when he said this, it all just clicked. And that's what happens a lot of times when we finally hear the gospel and when it makes sense when it makes sense to us. For me, it took a conversation about whether I'd be ready to die alone. And when I was 20 years old, I never thought about it. I never thought about the possibility of dying alone. And that scared me. But when my friend again told me that I don't have to, that I can be, have that assurance that, even if no one's around, that Jesus will always be there. Just things began to sort out. I don't know, things began to click, as I mentioned. and, And when I went back home to Northern California, and I began to read my Bible, started reading the Gospel of John. I was like, whoa, I need... To be born again i need a savior i need jesus and there you know i didn't you know necessarily get saved at a church you know at a, during a, a calling no i was in my i was in my room quietly sitting there and i closed my bible and i prayed the sinner's prayer and i knew at that moment that i was born again and shortly after that the floodgates opened and the Bible now made sense. The Word of God made sense now, and I was able to understand what the Lord was trying to tell me my whole entire life. All because, again, I took that step of faith and, and I listened to what Jesus wanted me to hear. There, again, in that moment, he realized that that Savior... Was standing right in front of him. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. This immediate and complete response shows what it looks like to, to empty and surrender one's life, to follow the true source and the giver of life. When you just let all that stuff go, when you stop Worrying about the houses, the cars, the, the bills, and, and all that matters is following Jesus. When the career doesn't matter anymore, all that matters is just following the Lord. Matthew was making a good living. He was cheating. He was probably stealing from people, but he was, he was wealthy. He had it made. He had a bunch of friends. We'll soon find out. He probably had a nice house. Probably the nicest horses that, uh, that, at the time. The nicest clothes. And he gave it all up. Just like Peter, Andrew. I mean, Peter, yeah, James, and John. They had a good thing going with their fishing business. But when Jesus told them, I'll make you now on, you'll be fishers of men, they dropped all that and just followed Jesus. And and so again, we hear, see here, same thing with, with Matthew. All that stuff didn't matter anymore. What really mattered was following, again, the true source and the giver of life. And that's hard. That's, that's one of the hardest things, I think, for a Christian, for someone to do, knowing that they may have to let go of things if they follow Jesus. But what we have to understand is, Jesus story story. Uh, I'm sorry, Jesus will sort it all out. And Jesus will. He he knows what he. If you just allow him, he knows what he needs to do in your life. And if you just surrender that life to him, life to him, just give him your heart. He will sort it all out. You just have to trust Him. He knows what He's doing and what He wants to do in your life. Our minds may be think, going 100 miles and maybe thinking, oh, well, what about this and what about that? And just trust Him. He'll tell you what you need to let it go of. He'll tell you what, you know, sometimes it's going to be immediate, sometimes it's going to be slow, but he'll, he'll tell you. He'll inform you. Now, again, I'm not, also I'm not saying that here he's going to tell you to automatically quit your job. But for some, he may. I already know one person that had been coming here who after hearing the Lord speak to her, she decided Hey, you know what, I need to follow the Lord. She quit her job and she, here's a story she's been telling me how blessed she's been now because she did that. Again, all because she took a, a step of faith. So, again, just consider the entire situation. And just when you do surrender to the Lord, he'll, he'll reveal that to you. He'll tell you in one way or another what you need to give up. Now, as a follower of Jesus, Matthew's entire existence now had meaning. And it now had purpose. And now he wanted to tell his closest friends what the Lord had done for him. So what did Levi do? levi hosted a grand banquet a huge party with a bunch of food uh, just a, a party just for him at his house now some have suggested that matthew had three purposes for arranging this party he wanted to honor the lord he wanted to make a public declaration of his new allegiance and he wanted to introduce his friends to Jesus now, whatever the case may have been it soon became clear to everyone not just well his as friends aside it became clear to everyone else the kinds of friends Matthew had now here's how the host Matthew put it in Matthew chapter 9 verse 10 many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Like many of you, like many of you probably have heard, I've also heard, I've actually heard Christians use this verse to justify going to bars, going to clubs, because, what? Jesus partied. He partied with sinners. But, you see, they're not looking at the entire situation here. you are just pulling out that verse and and just throwing it out there. They're failing to see, because they're not looking at the entire situation, they're failing to see why Jesus was there in the first place. But put simply, here's the fact of the matter. Yes, Jesus was at that party with sinners, but he didn't party with sinners those sinners. In other words, although he was surrounded by sinners, he never participated in their sinful behavior, nor did he do anything that would have compromised testimony. He instead used that occasion to teach, to rebuke, and to bless. So the next time a Christian friend or relative or whatever it may be, someone, you know, tells you that they go to bars and clubs because, well, Jesus also partied with sinners. You should ask them, are you going to party with sinners? Or are you there to teach, rebuke, and bless sinners? Are you going to, are you going to be actually there to, with a Bible in hand, talking to people about what the Word of God says, trying to turn people from their sins. You may say, yeah, but in all reality, a lot of times they have another agenda. There's something else going on. There's, you know, it's just, they're slowly creeping to, to sin and, and, and possibly backsliding. And, and if it's a close friend and, and you really care about that person, Again, remind them again what what the Word of God really says there, and and instead just invite them, you know, give them an alternative. Just invite them go get coffee, maybe pay for a meal. I don't know. Just take them, take him or her somewhere else where. Again, they they won't have to think about those things. You know. They don't have to be part of that. Now back to again our passage. We see a completely different reaction from the delegation of Pharisees and their scribes. In their attempt to prove to themselves and others that Jesus was nothing but an imposter, they began to point fingers. They began to point fingers and they began to complain. Why are you hanging out with those disgusting sinners? Why are you hanging out with those disgusting tax collectors and sinners? Now, in my personal opinion, I think that one of the reasons they may have felt this way, they, were, they may have reacted this way, was because they weren't personally invited to the party. But that's something else. But, uh, but again, even if they were, they probably would have declined and given that stink face. You know that stink face. Because of their holier-than-thou attitude. But beneath it all, though, at the root, at the, the, the issue here was that these scribes and Pharisees criticized Jesus because they didn't understand either his message or his ministry. You see, Jesus didn't fit into their religious box that they themselves had created, it wasn't something that God had created. They created their own little religious box that this is the way it's got to be. And if you're not this way, then you're not truly righteous. You're not truly one of us. You're a disgusting sinner. You're just a regular person. And what we see throughout this entire gospel and this entire book is that Jesus completely blew up that box. It's unfortunate when leaders resist change and refuse to try to understand the new things God is doing. Now, although we, when you come here, for those of you who are familiar with the Calvary Chapel distinctives and know you can pretty much expect same thing you would hear, same thing as you would hear at other Calvary chapels. You're going to hear the Word of God being read, you're going to be here being taught, and you'll be given some application. But the manner of doing that, again, it depends on the person. I may not be like that pastor that has thousands of people or that has been preaching for 20, 30 years, The Lord is giving me a gift and he's giving me a calling and I'm using it to the best of my ability. Just like you, I'm growing as a leader. I'm growing as a pastor and maybe 10, 15 years from now, you know, my style of preaching may look different than what it is now. But, you know, I'm open to that. I'm open to, to the Lord doing new things. You know, in this church, in me, I'm open to see what the Lord wants to do in your life. You know, and as I said, it is sad when you have leaders out there who just don't want any change at all, who want to, who just, again, they want things to be in this bubble. They want things to be in this box, and this is the way it has to be because if it's not, then you're not one of us. We have to be mindful of that. We have to be careful. We, we should use some discernment, too. There are times when it's, it's the right thing to do. But God, he, you know, he's, he's changing us. And with that change, you know, again, He's, he's doing great things. So how did, how did our Lord respond to this criticism? In typical Jewish teacher fashion, Jesus cited a proverb to emphasize his message. Healthy people don't go to the doctor. Sick people do. The Lord, however, wasn't really talking about physical health and sickness. Rather, he was referring to the condition of a person's soul. As a physician of the soul, Jesus came to be with the spiritually sick and to offer spiritual healing to those who became aware of their sinful condition. Now, without a doubt, his critics were also sick with sin, but they were unwilling to see see themselves that way. Therefore, they couldn't benefit from the ministry of the great physician. See, the religious critic is quick to point out that other people are sick with sin. They'll say, see that person, they're sick. They need help. You need to do something about that person, but they will ignore areas within themselves that need healing, that are suffering and that are just filled with just disease, with sin. They don't want to see that. They just want to point fingers and, and, and just point at others and say, look at them, don't look at me, look at them. Jesus here sums it up well by pointing out that he didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't come to call those who thought themselves as righteous, but came to call sinners to repentance. The righteous are those who think they're not sick, who are self-sufficient and recognize no personal need. I'm good. I don't need Jesus. I'm, I'm a good person. I give to the poor. I give to charities. I... I do my religious work. I've done all my sacraments, and I've done all, all these things. And you know, I'm me and you know, God. We're good. We don't. You know, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a savior. I just got to keep doing these things, and I'll earn my way up to heaven. For these people, for these kinds of people, the great physician can do nothing for those for those kind of people. There. Who are unwilling to confess their sins and acknowledge their guilt. It says, you know, okay, you want to do it your way? Fine. You know, keep, keep at it and we'll see. However, the people he came to call were sinners, sinners like you and me who recognized their need for a Savior their need for a Savior to heal them from their sin and to save them from the eternal punishment of hell. Jesus Christ is that Savior. And as the great and perfect physician, here's what you can count on. He will always be there. He will always be available. He will make the perfect diagnosis he will provide a complete cure. And guess what? He has already paid the bill. You no longer have to, it's not your responsibility. He paid the bill already. Just like last week, we have the stories of two men. Where this, where, just like last week, where we saw the stories of two men from different backgrounds, Here too, we have the stories of two different men with two different backgrounds. So let me ask you, are you like the paralyzed man? Are you like, are you in that place where you need, you just can't move because of sin, you can't walk? Well, let me help you bring you to Jesus. Let me help you to bring you to the Savior so that he can forgive you and heal you from your spiritual paralysis. He wants to do that. He's willing to do that. Now, if that's you, I, I, after we're when we're, in a minute I'll be leading you in a prayer to do that. But let me also ask you, are you, or are you like Matthew? are you having an existential crisis are you at that place where he was wondering about your life looking back and, and seeing man I've wasted all these years and I don't want to waste any more time but I see my life going nowhere are you wondering what the meaning of life is and whether there's really any purpose to it. The Lord is calling you now. The Lord is reaching out to you. He's standing before you. And He's telling you, follow me. Will you? Will you just say okay and just follow Him? regardless of, of what's going on, regardless of your job, your friends, your marriage, your children, all that, regardless of what's going on in your life, will you just listen and just follow the Lord? He's calling you today, wherever you're at, and, and you just have to get up. You just have to get up and go. Like the paralyzed mind, get up and And go home and when you do that you'll be glorifying God and just like Matthew he got up and followed Jesus so if you're here you're watching or you're listening and and this is this message is speaking to your heart and you see your need for a savior you see your need for Jesus you recognize and you understand that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. Let me tell you that salvation is at hand. That salvation is there. You just have to reach out and grab it. What the Lord just wants from you is for you just to surrender your life, for you to acknowledge that you're a sinful person, that you are a sinner, and that. He came to die on the cross for your sins. He wants you to be born again. So if that's you and you want to do that wherever you're at, um, if you're listening or watching this message, close your eyes and bow your head and Pray this with all sincerity. And those that are here, I just ask you that you pray for those who may be praying this. But those listening, pray this. Heavenly Father, forgive me. Forgive me I've, for being a sinner, Lord. I admit that I've sinned and I'm a sinner and that I've blown it. Please forgive me. I believe you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And I confess him as Lord. I believe my sins were laid upon him when He died at the cross. And as a result, I'm clean, Lord. You've washed me from all my sins. So now that I'm washed, Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Fill me with Your love, Lord, so I may see this world as you see it so that I may love people like you love them change me transform me Lord heal me from that spiritual paralysis I'm willing and able to follow you and to walk with you Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you that I've been born again. In Jesus' name, amen.